It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't f*** it up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for taking time out of your Davos vacation to join me here today on Mean Age Daydream. I am, of course, the beautiful Brian McWilliams. Here doing a solo show. I'm good to get back to the solo shows. I'm probably going to mix it up though again and have a probably have a guest next couple of weeks. But still, I like to talk to you directly. I know you like to be wooed like I am the Romeo to your Juliet. So welcome here. Let's chat until we both take poison and die to piss off our families. Guys, before I get into the show proper, I want to tell you that number one, you can support our show and everything we're doing here by going to patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty or lions of liberty.locals.com. And you can get 15% off of uh, our merchandising by joining the Lions Pride. You could get either of our fantastic new shirts. Talking about big pharma, everybody's talking about what's going on, hashtag died suddenly, etc. But you can get shirts that express. What's going on? Number one, a shirt I designed with my very own brain uh, called (laughs) basically Big Pharma's new slogan, making myocarditis into arocarditis. That is up at the Lions of Liberty store, which is lionsofliberty.store. Or, of course, the the John Odermatt-inspired shirt with a television with rainbows and stars coming out of it and a big needle on the TV screen saying that commercials, or I'm sorry, television is basically just filler for pharmaceutical commercials. If there's anything that's been said that's truer than that, I don't know what it is. So check that out. Plus, we've got all sorts of other merch on there. We've got Taxation is Death. We've got uh, Wax On, Tax Off, Mr. Miyagi shirts. Go check it out, lionsofliberty.store, guys. Or, of course, support us on Patreon. Get all the bonus content we're doing. Going to be recording a new Secrets, Lies, and Cover-Ups talking about Damar Hamlin, among other things. Um, Probably going to get into an interesting thing that came out. I'm not going to talk about it on this show, but about the Pope uh, posthumously asking that a set of papers that he wrote, basically a book, be released. And that book is laying out some of the more crazy stuff that's happened in the church, some of the censorship in the church, some of the gay orgies that are happening in some of the seminaries, among other things. So should be a very interesting show. But again, that's only for subscribers to our Lines of Liberty Patreon or locals. Also, by the way, um, The Boring Podcast, my comedy podcast. Check it out. Me, Rico, uh, a cast of rotating characters as well. A good buddy of mine, Don. Very funny show. It is on uh, bi-weekly. We do it every other Wednesday. But check that out as well. And you can hear fantastic ideas. Like, for example, the idea to airbrush on what looks like jeans before you go into a strip club, gentlemen. I'm just saying, if you want to really enjoy yourself, hire an airbrush artist. Get those jeans. Just spray paint it on. Why wear pants? All right, let's get into it. So, first things first, the Davos, the World Economic Forum, uh, the elites of the world taking their jets off into the secret hideaway that they enjoy going to, right? And I guess I can't even call it a secret because it has been predominantly covered by mainstream media, um, although some things seem to be getting memory hold as soon as they're put out, right? One such item I noticed that I want to talk about today, and I was trying to find the video and I wasn't able to pull it up, is 
the head of the FBI talking about, again, you know, questions can be raised. Why the fuck is the head of the FBI at Davos? Seems like he should be in the United States solving crimes, maybe uh, addressing the FBI operative in uh, New York City who got arrested for colluding with Russia after being one of the people that pushed forward the Trump-Russia collusion, you know, <laughs> helping the Fusion GPS documents get in and then is arrested for, for Russia collusion. You can't make it up, folks. But maybe he has more pressing things to do at home. Maybe the FBI should be more concerned with all of the documents that keep popping up. You know, I tweeted out uh, that I had looked down my pants this morning and found some classified documents because these Joe Biden documents are everywhere. Now Mike Pence has classified documents. It certainly seems that all of the hoopla about Trump having classified documents was really something that everyone that seems to have been in or around the Oval Office at any point in time um, tends to just take home classified documents. I'm not even saying that I'm surprised by this. I'm not even saying that I really object to a lot of this. I'm thinking that probably most of those documents are not going to be the type that are not allowed to leave the Oval Office, a.k.a. wearing nuclear codes, which, of course, are changed anyway, or the locations of, uh, of you know, JFK and the secret bunker because the CIA, you know, probably killed a double and is keeping the real one down below somewhere. The point being, it seems par for the course which makes it all the more obvious that they were going after Trump in a very specific way to try to take him down on something that is, as with almost everything that they tried to go after Trump for, something that every politician has done. Let's recount the ways. Number one, to, uh, Trump's people talking to Russia before he was in office, uh, taking down General Flynn. Again, every single administration does this. Every single one. Nothing is breaking the hatch act. Nothing is breaking the, uh, or I'm not hatching. No one's breaking, you know, espionage rules. No one's breaking any, any laws, talking to foreign nations. Nobody's conspiring any, conspir you know, any conspiracies going in here. Everybody's doing the same thing. That was one. Uh, let's see. How about number two? The quid pro quo thing that, of course, they impeached him for. Oh, how dare he demand that Russia, or I'm sorry, Ukraine investigate the Bidens when he's talking about weapons. Okay. Well, Again, every single president, every single politician that's talking about providing weapons to a nation is doing so because we want them to do something. That's the way it works. And it certainly does seem that Joe Biden has a lot more to hide and a lot more corrupt uh, members of his family, but members of his circle that are taking part in leveraging his power and prestige and name than Donald Trump did. And yet we're not seeing the same type of pressure or outage applied. You get where I'm going with this. I don't really care about these documents anymore. It's just entertaining to see where they keep popping up. It's like a where's Waldo, except you can basically just circle everywhere in the United States because they seem to be there. So anyway, getting back to this World Economic Forum, clearly the FBI unconcerned with our domestic matters because the FBI head was there and he was preaching about how he was so goddamn excited that the FBI had really made huge strides working with private companies. Now, this was on a big panel that was taking part in. This is very upsetting considering the release of the Twitter files, considering, you know, Reason also just did an article talking about how uh, Facebook was basically doing the exact same thing to, to the surprise of nobody. We all knew this already. You know that Google is already complicit with it. But that is the, if anything, I think the most scary one, right? Because Google operates within everything in our ecosystem from our search functions to many people's email, I have email on Gmail, 
I've got to get off it. I've got to migrate to ProtonMail, probably do an auto-forward type of thing. They control information flow to a degree that is highly, highly concerning when you do see the bleed between government censorship, moderation of content, and of course, the end goal, which is the absolute control of what is the truth. That is the, that is the goal of the government to eliminate all of the sources of facts of reality and to establish themselves as the de facto only source of truth. Now, they are obviously collaborating with mainstream media. You see this from another panel at Davos, where the the, uh, publisher of the New York Times, what is his name? I've got his name here. It's A.G. Saltzman, I believe. Of course, I say that. I've got my email open, and then I lost it. Yeah. Oh, it's A.G. Solzberger. A.G. Solzberger is the publisher of the New York Times. He took part in a panel on disinformation and how this is obviously... The greatest threat to humanity, disinformation. Now, the irony is that New York, New York Times is more than known for disinformation at this point. They won two Pulitzer Prizes for the Trump-Russia collusion story, which we now know to be 100% fabricated. I guess the Pulitzer was for their reporting on the fabricated information and how the reporting was still good. It's almost like if you give somebody... The only way I can think of this is if you give somebody an Oscar for making a documentary about another film, right? You know, it's like kind of like that uh, that movie that they made the doc the film about the documentary, the fake documentary that was made to infiltrate, you know, some foreign nation. I'm blanking on the name of it. It had it was a uh, one with Ben Affleck in it. Actually, it wasn't a bad film, if I'm being honest. But it's just it's almost meta in its idiocy. Two Pulitzers still not returned for the reporting they did on something that was a complete fabrication. Meanwhile, they you think that they'd want to give them a Pulitzer for doing reporting on how the truth was actually the exact opposite of what was being reported by most mainstream news sources. But no. Remember, the New York Times, the paper of record, of course, their main concern is disinformation, despite the fact that they publish it all the time. So, He's on a panel talking about how this is the primary uh, threat to humanity. And of course, he's echoed by other dickheads uh, within the global elite. But the main focus, as I said, within the government sphere of things, within the, the entire cabal sort of thing is, is that it is about information control. It is about developing one source of information in the narrative. Now, I've talked about this on a couple of different examples on this show before, how there is media literacy going through what they call media literacy in New Jersey schools. This just got put into law, K through 12, media literacy for those schools. What does that mean? That means they will tell kids that the only source of information that is believable is government or mainstream media and not social media. This entire core structure will be based upon convincing people to not ignore, or I'm sorry, to not believe their gut instincts, to not believe what is trending, to not believe what their neighbors or friends are telling them, but only to believe government or reliable sources. That is the crux of what the FBI is doing. That is the crux of what the mainstream media is doing and government's doing. And I've theorized that this all comes around to, again, what they're doing with divisive media to make sure that people don't trust each other and can't really agree on one reality. Um, all a post-factual reality is what we live in because they have had these divergent media sources with the intent to make people divisive, to make people argue about things which are virtually unprovable. Racism. Right. 
How can you prove that racism is prevalent in all of our society? Well, you really, I mean, unless we are out there every day and you go outside and you're seeing a race war happen, um, we have very disparate examples here and there that, of course, the media cherry pick and they share and they propagate and government does the same thing and schools use this example. They put these things forth, even though they are so infinitesimally unlikely to happen on an everyday person's basis to a black person, to a white person, to an Indian person, to a Chinese person, whatever it might be. Kind of like school shootings. Again, another thing, gun control. Your odds of being caught in a mass shooting are so small. Your odds of being hit by lightning are far greater. Uh, same thing with when we talk about, you know, climate. Climate is something that we are constantly barraged about, arguing about, and because you have easily identifiable weather outside, right? Oh my God, it's raining. Oh my God, it's snowing. Oh my God, it's hot. Oh my God, it's cold. Oh my God, it's a tornado. Now, people have a recency bias, especially when the government's hitting that drum over and over again, to say, oh my God, a tornado's out here. This must be related to climate change, even though it isn't. Even though we have historical data going back to show that these things are cyclical, that these things have happened. There's been much hotter. There's been much colder. For fuck's sake, people. The earth used to be one big glob of land. Did humanity's carbon footprint somehow go back in time and split up the entire motherfucking giant continent of Pangea? Are we to blame for this? Is the white patriarchy to blame for splitting up the dinosaurs you know, to, get, to breaking the continents up? <laughs> I just, it's so fucking absurd to think about the concept of climate change when you consider the history of the evolution of the earth and all the changes gone through, the, the entire argument falls flat on its face. And yet the earth went on. You know, I think George Carlin had a great line about that. You know, the problem isn't that we're going to destroy the earth. The earth is going to be fine. Humanity might be a little bit worried. And even that, I don't, I'm not worried. We'll find a solution. We always have. We always will. We have that capacity. The fact that these people are prioritizing other infinitesimally small bullshit, like, let's say, example, trans people being able to use a certain bathroom, shows you that climate change is not that big of a deal. But these people at the World Economic Forum, they don't want to acknowledge that. You've got John Kerry talking about how he and the rest of the people there are extraterrestrial. Because they care about our planet. As if extraterrestrials would come in and somehow uh, be very concerned with our, our climate and what's happening to it and what the, the poor denizens of the, the earth are going to be doing. As though they wouldn't just come in and be like, well, this looks like it's going pretty well. These people are going to kill each other off and uh, climate change is going to take care of this. Save the bombs. Say, guys, send the warships home. You know, let's go back into hibernation for a little while. Let's watch some space porn. You know, like, take a little nap. He's <laughs> dead. Makes me think of an old joke I used to have. Um, you know that Huey Lewis song? I went, I need a new drug. I used to make a whole joke about that. I'm like, we do need new drugs. We got no new drugs anymore. You know, we got fentanyl, we got cocaine, we got heroin. Where's the new drugs? Give me some space cocaine. Which is why, of course, I go up to every asteroid that crashes into Earth, and I just go and snort it right away, see what happens. But point being, of course, climate is a major crux of this this you know World Economic Forum, it always has been. I mentioned the report from Iron Mountain in a previous episode. Um, again, I will push you back to that. Go take a look at it. It's another thing that we might talk about on Secrets, Lies, and Cover-Ups. It lays out that climate is the perfect thing for these people to talk about because it is so divisive. It is so amorphous. The average person cannot wrap their head around it. They will simply believe the bullshit. And 
It's so easily blamed for everything and also used as a perfect Trojan horse. Now, I want to talk about that because I want to talk about how libertarianism and anarchism are the perfect pushback, the only pushback, really, in my mind. And why, you know, we are, this philosophy is so beautiful, so promising, and why it is going to lead to better outcomes for people out there. Because we are the, the bulwark against these Trojan horse legislation, these Trojan horse concepts that are, at the end of the day, designed to crush your civil liberties, to remove your freedoms, and to exhort uh, authoritarian control on you. Now, before I get to that, though. I do want to talk about this. So a former New York Times editor, after seeing the New York Times coverage, all the mainstream media coverage of what's going on at the World Economic Forum, which formerly the New York Times refused to cover. They actually said they would not send reporters. They would not report on it because it was very obviously a ultra left leaning. And again, one of the topics they talked about was how to combat right wing information, right? Because that's clearly a concern for these people. The World Economic Forum in the context of uber leftist thinking, right? That's what this is. Because again, it's founded by Carl, Carl uh, Klaus Schwab, who is a absolute monster uh, bent on destroying you know, civilization as we know it and enslaving all of us. So it was interesting to see a uh, former New York Times editor who got let go, of course, as the paper pushed ultra left named Jill Abramson. Abramson? Abramson, I don't know, who knows? She called it, and I quote, a circle jerk, a, sorry, a corrupt circle jerk between media and business, which I like that she's not pulling any punches. Uh, I got to say, that is very, very satisfying to say. Um, but she talked about, again, how her predecessor refused to cover it for a very specific reason. Now, Coming back around to what I'm saying about these, you know, these Trojan horse legislations, how these people will use climate change to push forward authoritarian uh, restructuring of the entire civilizations we inhabit. For example, push forward a fear of, say, a pandemic like COVID to install different monitoring systems of control and capture. Well, actually, let's let Tony Blair say it because uh, Tony Blair decided that he was going to share his point of view on this and uh, just lay it out for us real simply. Hold on. Let me uh, bring this on up here, guys, and mute my mic because I always forget to do it. Impetus now for a national digital infrastructure. Digitization in, in healthcare is, I think, one of the great game changers. You know, we should be helping countries to develop a national digital infrastructure, which they will need with these new vaccines. And then, you know, finally, it, it, it's it's also about showing people and showing the political leadership that you can make a positive difference to your healthcare system by adopting these measures because they've got a they've got an impact beyond any there's a huge impetus now for a national digital infrastructure there you go See here, there's now an impetus for a national digital infrastructure, basically a national database, international database to track who is vaccinated, who is not against what to dictate where you can and cannot travel, where you can and cannot gain entry to. Now, well, people might say, well, it's an international database. I mean, people already have uh, vaccine requirements to get into different countries. They do. But to establish an international digital portal, which will be accessed by all world governments, that is what he is talking about basically also opens up for 
nationalized digital portals for you to be vaccinated to, to, again, dictate where you can and cannot go within your own country's borders, just like China has in existence right now. We looked at China as basically, China has adopted the World Economic Forum model in many ways. Um, you know, they already have, are pushing, you know, it's a communist model. So they're already, <coughs> already pushing for you to have less, to consume less. Now they're actually flipping that a bit now because, uh, Xi Jinping is running scared. Um, and I could talk about that a little bit, but I'm kind of getting it off track. But point being, China was pushing this world economic forum model of reining in, uh, your ability to communicate, your ability to be a consumer, your ability to, uh, to leave your house and, and, you know, live freely, to travel freely, your ability to, uh, to go where you want to travel outside of the country. Now they're flipping that because they, they've hit a point of revolution in China. In my opinion, and I think I think the government knows this, and especially because they are monitoring so closely social media platforms. Which, again, to remind people, China's biggest social media platform—you uh, cannot even get on WeChat. You can't even get on it without somebody that's a Chinese national citizen approving you. And of course, my gardener's here right now, so I have to pause this and wait till he goes, and then I'll have to pick it up later. <laughs> I swear to God, I recorded this early so this wouldn't happen. Well, we'll be right back. We'll take a commercial break and then we'll return with more meaning. All right. I am back, everybody. I uh, had a costume change, as you can see, because after my gardener interrupted me, I went to the gym. I got my kid. I had dinner. I did an interview with uh, TNT Radio, which went great. And now I'm back to finish this mean age daydream. I swear to God, it never fails. Literally any time I, and I take into account when my gardener usually comes and yes, I know you're like, Brian, why do you have a gardener? Well, because it's, uh, it's cheap and easy here in LA. And uh, frankly, I tried to do it and I said, why am I doing, why am I doing this myself? I could pay somebody $60 to do it. So anyway, we're back. So picking up where I left off, I was talking about the world economic forum. I was talking about Davos. We just heard creepster uh over at the uh oh god who was it well that was a guy just played i'm blanking his name ah screw it oh it was the former prime minister of the uk tony blair we just heard tony blair talking about the vaccine registry international vaccine registry basically to track you to find out where you're going what you're doing uh who's been vaccinated of course how this will bleed over and other things so I want to play you another creepy, creepy video, and I believe this is from the same event over at the World Economic Forum. I was trying to find the background of it, but, uh, you know, this is coming out just now. I have to believe it's from the exact same event. This is from a equally creepy woman who works over at Google, and she's talking about the electronic tattoo she has, the digital tattoo. See if anything in this video kind of seems off to you or very, very strange. This is a developmental system made by MC10, and it has uh, an antenna and some sensors embedded in it. And what we plan to do is work with them to advance a tattoo that could be used for authentication. Now, it may be true that 10 to 20-year-olds don't want to wear a watch on their wrist, but you can be sure that they'll be far more interested in wearing an electronic tattoo, if only to piss off their parents. Right. And that's something that you wear, but you could also imagine including authentication in just your daily habits. So I take a vitamin every morning. What if I could take vitamin authentication? What? Vitamin authentication. Look, I have one right here. Well, here, I'll let you hold it. Mm. Would you like to hold it? 
I'll hold it. Okay. <laughs> so, this You guys see it? This pill has a small chip inside of it with a switch. It also has what amounts to an inside-out potato battery. When Ooh, you small. swallow it, the acids in your stomach serve as the electrolyte. That's what they do. And they power it up and the switch goes on and off. And it creates an 18-bit ECG-like signal in your body, and essentially your entire body becomes your authentication token. Yes, this is true. Okay. Okay, but. Okay, so wait. So it's uh, it's really true. So what this means is that that becomes my first superpower. I really want this superpower. It means that my arms are like wires, my hands are like alligator clips when I touch my phone, my computer, my door, my car, I'm authenticated in. First superpower. Like, I want that. All right. So, there you go. This woman's talking about a uh, small electrical, essentially a battery that can power up and become an authenticator. Uh, I'm sure it also can become a tracking device. It can also become a, uh, a way in which the government can control what you can and cannot purchase. Now, we talk again about the efforts to eliminate paper currency, the efforts to uh, put GPS into every car and every phone. And now this is the next level of the government being able to control track, uh, do whatever you want them to do. I mean, because now if this is your authenticator to get into your house, to get into your car, to get into your bank account, to use your money, uh, to go to work. Well, if the government knows who you are, where you are at all times, that also means that they can decline access to all of these things that you would depend on by virtue of flicking a switch. I also wonder, by the way, you know, they've got this little battery in there. Can it help? Uh, can it help all the kids that are dying from vaccines that they put in you? I mean, clearly the fear in this is what else can be put into this chip, by the way. If they're giving you this little gadget, this little gizmo that can be inserted in your body to do all these different things. What's to stop the government? What's to stop? It doesn't even have to be necessarily government actors. What's to stop any actor from doing something nefarious and putting something in the back end? We already know the government is trying to hack into your phones and is pissed off at Apple because Apple said, no, we're not going to allow a backdoor encryption uh, for you to access people's data. Is the next battlefield going to be to deny people uh, the access to these these pills, the authentication pills or whatever they're going to be? I mean, it's a little bit too sci-fi at this point in time to say that everybody's going to suddenly adopt these digital tattoos and start popping these pills in order to get everywhere at once. But at the same time, if you have countries outlaw paper money, if you have countries say, well, we're going for uh, digital currencies full bore, if you have people say, well, we're going to get rid of, just like hotels, we're going to get rid of physical locks on doors. Well, for the sake of convenience, people have given up vast amounts of freedom. Uh, for the sake of fear, people have given up vast amounts of freedom. And this, I'm sure they will paint it in the way, and again, going back to the Trojan horse theorem, they will paint this as the greatest way to stop you from becoming lost, from getting getting your children kidnapped, right? Hey, kids, get this electronic tattoo. Parents, make sure to tat your kids up, just like you have to get the vaccinated. Make sure to tat your kids up because that way we can track wherever they are at any point in time and make sure that you'll never lose them, right? You never have kids being taken away again. No, like, great, that's a good silver lining, right? I'll give them that. 
I would love to have a way to know where my kid is at all times, but that's also a, a very, very severe trade-off in their freedom and their autonomy and their ability to live their life and the fear of what government can. Because guess what? While my kid might not disappear because some pervert pedophile, again, one in a billion chance of that happening, some pervert pedophile swoops them up and takes them away. God forbid. Well, guess what? Now I'm opening up the realm of possibility that the government and all of the pedophiles and all the uh, the military industrial complexes and all of the other nefarious actors of the government can now have access to my kid to swoop them up or deny them access or whatever else they want to do to corral these children into thinking, into doing, into being one way, shape, or form and controlling every aspect of their lives. It's concerning. But... Overall, right, we're talking about Davos, we're talking about the everything these people do, right? The efforts of these people is focused on one thing and one thing only. I'll tell you what that this comes down to. Davos is about deciding who is and who is not going to be allowed in the bunker that they are creating after they bring the world down. That, I'm sorry, I try to be positive here, but that is what they are plotting. So it's up to us to say, get the fuck out of here. We're not going to permit this type of thing to happen. We're not going to go along with these plans and we're not going to believe the promises you're making us, the Trojan horses that you're bringing to the gates to try to get in here. Now, why do I think that libertarianism is the best and only bulwark against this, against these Trojan horses. Well, simply because we are the only existing philosophy that believes that government does not really have a legitimate claim to exist in the first place. Thus, anything the government tells us that they want to combat, that they want to fight, that they want to put out there for the good of humanity, we are automatically suspect of. We automatically are saying, well, hold on there. Just because you say it's something that humanity needs, that is a, a great affront or that the citizenry of this country have to respect and fear, doesn't mean that that is the case. It doesn't mean that we should believe you. It doesn't mean that we should put our resources, put our time into developing this by virtue of government studios, of new organizations that can, in fact, take away our freedoms, even if these are for the quote-unquote benefit of all of us, right? Because that's the, that's the promise of the Trojan horse, right? Or they promise the treasure doesn't necessarily have to be a good thing. It doesn't have to be a gift, as these people often portray, let's say, the welfare state, right? The welfare state is promised as a gift, but really what it turns into is a cage. It turns into a way to control a population group. It turns into a way to uh, to basically redistribute wealth. It turns into a way to punish those who are not going along with what the government demands of you, right? Because you become virtually uh, subservient to the government to keep that welfare check on the way. And not only that, but now you have dictated to you what you can and can't do, who you can and can't marry. Again, there's incentives in place to not have fathers come home and reunite with their children because that's one of the designs of government. They want to keep the family separate. They want to redefine what your loyalty is, who the parent is. And that of course is government, but that's just one of many examples, right? How about the other, uh, you know, how about them saying that you have to allow the government to look into your bank account. If you dare to withdraw or deposit over, I think it's $2,500, right? Actually, maybe it's 25,000. I have to, I have to look it up. That's not really the point, though. The point of it is that they have an arbitrary figure, which is not to protect you. It's not to stop crime. This was invented, right? This this arbitrary number was invented by the government under the auspices of preventing money laundering by the mob. Now, how much money 
could possibly be going through and being laundered by the mob where the FBI would need, because he's, you know, supposedly combating the FBI, right? Or the, uh, the mafia. How much money could be going through that would demand that every citizen of the United States now have their bank account, have their receipts for depositing or withdrawing certain amount of money over a threshold be looked at by the federal government? How much money warrants that? I guarantee you it was nowhere near the amount of money that you think it is. Because again, it's not about stopping the crime. It's not about stopping the money laundering. Just like the reason we didn't have sports gambling in legalized in most countries or in most states for a very long time, except for Nevada, because it's cronyism, was because the government told us that, again, the mafia was using sports gambling and betting on games as a form of money laundering. How many games do you guys think were thrown of point shaming on this money laundering? How many games must it have been so that every citizen of the United States was denied disability? Again, I guarantee it wasn't that many. But this is how they do it. This is the Trojan horse. By sticking to the guns from the philosophical aspect of we do not believe that you are allowed to rule us. And thus, whatever you're telling us, whatever whatever you're putting into place to control us, I don't care if it's for the good, for the bad. I don't care if you're telling me it is going to stop people from taking advantage of you, the government, right? Because we know the government exists to propagate itself. So we push back against that. Nothing you're doing is really in the best efforts for my future. It is in the best efforts for the government's future. So us saying, we don't care because we don't want you to grow. We want you to shrink. We want you to die. We want you to wither is the thing that's going to protect us from all of these Trojan horse attacks and what are, what they call them. Even if it's climate, no matter if it's hurricanes, no matter if it's, uh, it's war from aliens, right? We were told that we had to go and support and stop these Russians from invading Ukraine. Why? Who knows? Doesn't affect us as Americans yet. What did affect us was the war as it played out, was the sanctions put into place by the UN and the United States. That's what came around to screw us. The war, had it played out, would not have done anything. But we were told that we must protect democracy. Must we? We must protect democracy abroad in, a, in an undemocratic state that is the most corrupt in the region? Well, obviously, because it's in the best interest of the government to protect democracy under those auspices, or at least to tell us that we must. Now, oh, and by the way, don't forget about Venmo when I talk about the money loaning too. Don't forget, the government just tried to push forward Venmo transactions over $600 because, you know, we had to make sure that things were on the up and up, that people weren't sending money illegally. Again, do I care if somebody's sending money illegally by Venmo? No, of course not. The government cares. The government cares about sending things illegally by Venmo. Ah, I got off track there. I would have probably had a longer rant on that if I had begun my original track here. But like I said, I got got dissuaded. Hard to get back into it. You know, you get out of the, the flow of it and it's hard to jump back in. But anyway, they do have a song that they want you all to hear. You may have heard it already, but I want to play you the song that is now, uh, I think, as I have termed it, this is the song that the leaders in Davos will play. This is the soundtrack to your enslavement and or the soundtrack to you being left to die as they are all in the bunker. Let me share this work of art with you. Uh, it seems like it's some cross between Bobby McFerrin and, um, I don't know, some sort of dying tabby. 
like a flower or tree. I'll throw my head back and sing and sing and sing and sing and sing. Okay, so by the way, if you've never seen the movie The Fifth Element, this reminds me of a goofy performance in The Fifth Element by some uh, blue alien creature where she goes, honestly, I don't know, it sounds like a kookaburra. It sounds like, I don't know, some sort of weird bird in the forest. And then yeah, this, this dork just say, strumming away on an acoustic guitar next to her. Great. Glad I flew in my private jet to Davos. Glad I uh, I hired all of those those hookers that had flown out with me to, uh, to, uh, to accompany me to this grand event to see this idiot making goofy noises with her mouth. But as I said, that is the soundtrack to your enslavement. That is uh, the music that will accompany the next Trojan horse to you, which again, as Bill Gates said, may be a pandemic, maybe the next quote unquote man-made pandemic, which is why they will tell you, you need to have the vaccines. Why you tell you, you need to have regular boosters, why they must have the vaccine tracking, why they must have everything in your body, the little pills that the woman's talking about. So you can, uh, you know, I don't know, kickstart your heart, kickstart my heart, kickstart your heart, right? Or deliver nutrients or get you in your house, whatever it might be. Remember, it's for your safety. It's not because they want to control you and track you and capture you. It's not because they want to. And again, remember I talked about this, how they want to have uh, automatic kill switches in every card that's made now too. Guys, don't forget. It's all for your safety. We are the only people that are going to be standing up against. This is this is the promise, right? That all these people can fall for the trick, that all, that all these people can fall for the trap, but we're not going to fall for the trick. We're not going to fall for the cheese. We're not going to go for the fear. We're not going to give into our base instincts of comfort and and believing that big daddy government is going to take care of us. We are better than that. And this is what we have to tell other people. You may not want to believe us now, but look what's happened over the past couple of years. Look at throughout history, how the government has taken advantage of these false auspices of caring for you. The monetary system, for example. Well, you know what? We had all these crashes in the monetary supply. So what we need, guys, trust us. What we need is more government. We need a federal reserve. We need a bank that's going to make sure that this can never happen again. What does it go and do? Well, we still have the crashes. We still have the bubbles. It's just that now they can control the bubbles. We now have the inflationary processes that have taken money out of everybody's savings account, points where 60% of people's wealth has been lost over the last 10 years. But remember, it was all for the good. The Trojan horse was presented as the great protector of the people, the great protector against the bank runs to make sure that big government, big banks can't take advantage of you anymore. We're going to make sure that these people on the up and up, it always ends the same. It's up to us. Okay, let's go into something else here. I, uh, I want to finish up with a little entertainment stuff. I will talk about the Oscar nominations that just came out. So, and then I'll finish up with, <laughs> I watched Velma so you don't have to. And whoa, I'll wait for it. But holy, holy fucking shit, man. <sighs> one of the worst shows I've ever seen. One of the longest experiences of my life. It was, it was like, I'm trying to think of, of the mind bending time warping reality of what it was that I was encountering while watching this show. It was like when you were in school waiting for a recess, you know, and you're watching the clock and the clock's not moving. That's kind of a cliche trope example, but I can't think of any other example that would make sense. It, it was that painful. But before I get to that, the Oscar nomination just came out 
And if I'm being perfectly honest, I was pretty damn surprised at the lack of uh, some of the woke titles, the woke actors getting nominated. Now, to be sure, there's still some in there, right? There was a movie called uh, Tar or Tear, right, with Kate Blanchett. It's labeled as an abusive music teacher, right? So she plays an abusive white music teacher. There's a great scene in the movie where some little whiny snot-nosed punk starts whining about the composer being a patriarchal white male and how he doesn't want to deal with that. And she rips him a new asshole. It's the only part of the movie I've seen, and it's fantastic. But I promise you this will be painted as, well, this is obviously talking about how she's not open-minded and not adept to it. Uh, now, granted, I've not seen the movie being, being straightforward, but I already know. If it's nominated, if she's nominated, that's going to be kind of what it's about. But at the same time, you've got Brandon Fraser in The Whale. You've got uh, a predominantly Asian cast in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which, by the way, I saw. Fantastic film. Honestly, fantastic film. Everybody should go see it. Short round is in it from Indiana Jones. He kicks ass. He got nominated for Best Actor. I think he's going to win. But the film overall was a joy. A little bit long, but... You know, as a da- as a father of two daughters, this movie has a, a daughter in it, and kind of a, one of the plots is reconnecting the mom and the daughter and the family together. Got to me tearing up on the plane on the way home from my uh, my drinking excerpts or uh, exploits in the Pocono Mountains. Great film. Another film, you know, the Banshees of Inisherin is again featuring some Irishmen. It is a, a very white film. That is nominated up there, along with Top Gun, Maverick, Avatar, The Way of Water, Elvis, The Fablemans, which, God, talk about a masturbatory jerk-off film. I can't bring myself to watch The Fablemans because it is Steven Spielberg masturbating over his own greatness and his family. I, I have no interest in seeing it. I doubt many people outside of the Hollywood bubble do either, just like most of these films. But I think they did make an effort to throw, you know, Elvis being in there, everything everywhere all at once, Avatar, and of course, Top Gun Maverick being in there. They made an effort this year. After some failures the last previous years in people not wanting to watch the Oscars, last year's Oscars, I don't think anybody saw more than two films outside of your people that were mailed the DVDs because they just weren't that interesting. These were minuscule stories, just, you know, shit that's not going to attract the most people and especially coming out of a pandemic. So they've corrected ship a bit. I will say this. Like I said, I was surprised at some of the lack of nominations for some characters. Um, one of the people that wasn't nominated was the lead actress in Till. Now, her name is Danielle Deadweiler. Oh, and also Viola Davis. Viola? Viola? Viola Davis in The Woman King. Didn't see it. I actually heard it was decent, right? She was not nominated. I was shocked by that. I thought The Woman King would be nominated just based on the fact that it is a movie about black chicks that are, you know, black chicks are going to be kings. All right. You know, a- a- avoiding the trope of uh, Oscar so white. No. Good. You know, I mean, I, I, again, I haven't seen it. Maybe it's deserving. Maybe it's not. I will tell you this. I don't think that enough people saw it to make it really that relevant to them. Again, it, people also didn't see Tear or Tar or whatever the fuck it's called. And this movie, Till, I was excited to see these nominations announced because I had a rant ready and go locked and loaded about Till. Not because I saw it, not because I have any real verdict 
on whether or not the actor and actresses are in the, uh, the film are good or whether it's a good feature at all. Till, of course, focuses on a black woman, you know, coming to cope with racial animosity and her past experience. It was one of those films where you go, okay, well, that one's created for the Oscars. No one's going to see this shit, right? And I have a theory, and maybe I'll do an episode on this, that essentially these films don't exist to help cure racism at all. They exist for the left to stoke racism because that's what they're doing at this point. We are so far beyond everybody knowing the story. We're beyond Roots. We're beyond all these other films that people know about. We know the story. We know the history. We know it. It's in the culture. It's in the lexicon. We don't need all of these films. Emancipation with the Will Smith. We don't need these films anymore. They're not telling us unique and fascinating stories or a different angle or different perspective. They're giving us the same things. They exist solely to stoke more racial division and hatred and resentment, which is why I thought Till would be nominated. It wasn't. And she wasn't. And that movie, by the way, specifically, I had it highlighted because it made something like $800,000. That's it. All told. It was such a flop that it barely cracked, you know, films that go straight to DVD called like Transmorphers, you know, the Smeenage Mutant Ginja Blurtles, you know, that goes straight to Amazon Prime make more money than Till made. So interesting to see that it wasn't nominated. Okay, let's wrap this show up here. As I said, I just finished up about a, a 45 minutes of talking on another show. So... Velma. Velma, Velma, Velma. What a piece of shit. Velma is one of those shows which only exists because the people who wanted to make it have power in Hollywood to get it made. Now, I know that sounds obvious. Of course, Brian. Well, that's the way anything's in Hollywood gets made. Yes and no. Yes and no. Now, Mindy Kaling is the executive producer of this show. And clearly... The ass kisser who wrote it, which his name is, I think, Charlie Grant, uh, who was a writer on her show and on The Office, well, clearly he modeled Velma after her because Velma is a very annoying Indian girl. Let me see. I'm not even sure. I think Mindy Kaling may voice her as well. Mindy Kaling, Velma voice. Let's look it up right now because I haven't looked at all the voice actors. So let's see. Who is the voice of Velma? Yes, of course. So Mindy Kaling does voice Velma Dinkley. She sucks. I personally don't really find Mindy Kaling to be very funny. I don't think she's that talented. I thought she was fine on The Office. I'd have to see what episode she wrote of The Office if she was good back then. I don't really know. But again, you're also working with a, you know, a large writing staff. I don't understand her continued adoration within the larger Hollywood community because not only do I think she's very annoying and I don't think she's very funny, I also think she is exceptionally unattractive. And I know I should not be that shallow. I shouldn't judge people purely on their looks, but it does great on me when I see her and I'm just like, ew, ew, ew. Please get it off my screen. I need to blink my eyes until I you know, stare into the sun, blink my eyes, hope an eclipse comes to wipe out my vision completely. I just dislike her immensely. So, of course, she is prominently involved in this show. Um, but, you know, why otherwise would, would Velma be an Indian chick? Well, no other reason than Mindy Kaling is the executive producer and that she wanted to be Velma. So. Obviously, we've got to switch race there. Reminds you of that, you know, that uh, song. 
I was humming this to myself in the car, thinking about what I was going to say about this on the way uh, way to the gym earlier today during my break, my my gardener break. And there's that song by uh, by Billy Idol, Eyes Without a Face. I was just saying, I was like, every every movie now, every TV show is like, we're going to swap your race, so we're going to swap your... So, anyway. This show is 25 minutes long. It, as I said earlier, it felt like the longest hour of my life. I, I, I rarely have to pause shows to look and see how much time is actually left on the clock, but I found myself watching it and I'm sitting there trying to pay attention, taking little notes here and there. And I'm just thinking like, God damn it. Is this an hour? I paused it. I must've paused it three times just to make sure that it was not an hour long because it was so painfully slow. So stupid. The jokes were non-jokes. The jokes in Velma are essentially, if you took family guy, took out any sense of humor and replaced all the random cut scenes, but you know, it's not cutting to anything in Velma, but it's just dropping in a reference to something that was trending on Twitter that the left found objectionable or that the left found passionate, right? And just mentioning it. That was it. Like, uh, okay, white guys, the patriarchy, mm, rich, white, you know, Fred. And, and, and there's examples and examples and examples of this throughout the fucking show. It grates on you because you want a payoff to this. Say something about it. You can't just say, like, for example, the first line in the entire show is this. Usually origin stories start with a handsome man handed even more power. Okay. That's not a joke. (laughs) There's no payoff. There was no punchline to it. Then it just goes into her being like, well, this one's about me, Velma. It's not a joke. All that is is a talking point from the left. And this show is so utterly self-referentiary, referentiatory, referentiary, self, it basically refers to itself a lot. There you go. Let me, let me say it that way. Referentiary? God, it's going to drive me nuts. Well, anyway, I'm sure some asshole correct me on Twitter and I thank you asshole for that. It just constantly, honestly, you know, and this is what annoyed me about Rick and Morty as well, a show that I loved and now has lost its way. But I did say it was the most libertarian show for a long time, whether they knew it or not. It gets so grating because it consistently is referring to the writing process in Hollywood and the show itself. And you're just like, shut the fuck up. Keep on with the plot. Tell me a real joke. Right. Okay. So anyway, starts off with a line about, oh, a handsome man being he didn't Okay. Yep. Yep. Go after the page. Okay. Velma, as I said, is Indian. She is unlikable with no redeeming qualities. And she has hallucinations when she solves crimes. That's, that's it. She's, that's her character. She's a know-it-all. She's a pain in the ass. Uh, she's, and again, absolutely unlikable. Every character in the show is completely unlikable. That can be a good thing if your writing is funny, like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where all the characters are unlikable, but they are charming in their own way. They are magnetizing and attractive because they are hilarious and they're well-developed. These are not those characters. Daphne, she's Asian. Why? Eh, who knows? They're going to swallow your rays. Guess what? Shaggy doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. They got rid of Shaggy. Now, he exists in a physical form. There is a man who is tall and thin in a green shirt and brown pants. He is named Norville, and he is black. To reiterate, 
Shaggy does not exist. He is named Norville. He wears the same clothes, but he is black. He is also anti-drug. He is not dumb. He is not uh, a layabout or a wastrel, because of course that would be racist, right? You can't, you could race swap everybody else, but you can't race swap Shaggy because that would mean it would be a lazy black guy. And this is what's confusing to me, right? If you're a, a woke leftist, isn't the stereotype of the stupid white layabout pothead what you want? I mean, you know, we always talk about how these stereotypes are negative and all this other shit. Well, here you go. You got a, a, a white negative stereotype there. Isn't that the one character you'd want to keep in the show? He's also happens to be the only entertaining character in the Scooby-Doo Scooby uh, mysteries other than Scooby-Doo. Who guess what is also not in the show? Yeah, there's no Scooby-Doo either. They took all the characters in Scooby-Doo, except Scooby-Doo. They put them in here. They changed all of their personality traits. They race-swapped a bunch of them. And they just threw a fucking show out there where Velma is the sleuth and nobody else has anything to do with solving mysteries in any way, shape, or form. At least on episode one. I, I'm not going to watch episode two. I was going to do a, a two-episode review initially. I can't do it. I cannot do it. And I will not do it. And you can't make me. Anyway, so they ruined the best character of the show. They ruined Shaggy, the comic relief, the funniest character, the best character of the show. Completely removed him. Now it's a condescending, unfunny, not for lack of trying by you, by the mind you. Uh, they tried to write quote unquote jokes, which again consisted of him making references to uh, sending DMs. That was the joke, and they they did it fifteen times. It's in your DMs. Check your DMs. I sent you DMs. I, I left you several messages in your DMs, voice DMs. Are fucking DMs that funny? Right, I'm sorry. Is there a culture out there that if you say the word DM, they just drop dead laughing? Because I'd love to meet these people. Are they in a fucking jungle in Colombia with, with uh, bones through their noses? I, I just, it's so stupid. I mean, every moment this dude is on screen is agony. <sighs> there was one kind of funny bit in the very beginning. I figured I'll acknowledge the one. Went on too long, though. Like I said, like, like everything. They had a funny concept they couldn't deliver on. Basically saying, oh, well, if you want to get people to watch the show, you got to have like a nice sexy shower scene, right? And they had two chicks, you know, they're, they're kind of having a tussle in the shower scene. And one girl's like, okay, now kiss. Again, not very funny, but at least it was kind of interesting. But self-referential. Referential. Hey, I said it. The fuck could I not say that word? Self-referential. <sighs> anyway. And then let's see. Everything else. They, they hate everything that, uh, or they're hitting like, literally every woke trope you can hit. Racism. Feminism. They have they do a whole thing about slut shaming. But again, there's no jokes to be found here. It's just making a reference to it as Though acknowledging a woke talking point is enough for people to laugh. Well, we know that's not the case. If anybody's watching this and laughing, it's because they want to laugh because they feel they have to support the show because of what it is or because they have to support, you know, a feminist writer or whatever. I don't even, it's not, it's like going to a comedy show when these people are, are quote unquote laughing, but they're not really laughing. They're clapping. Or if they're laughing, it's to go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The affirmative laugh, right? That's what this show is going for. It's not actually making any jokes. And then there's Fred. Fred's in there. He's supposed to be an alpha male. And he's also supposed to be stupid. But Fred, in the first episode, gets uh, uh, accused of murder. 
And then you find out that he hasn't hit puberty yet. And he has like a micro penis because comedy. And then two lesbian police who had been uh, seen in the earlier episode, they come in and they shoot him in both legs for no reason, despite the fact that he is in his own house and uh, is holding a pen and pad and they don't make any reference to it. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. And they, they drag him away. Again, comedy, question mark. There's also a lot of pointless gore, but again, not in any way that is humorous or interesting or, you know, it's not even to play like Rick and Morty because a lot of gore, but it's interesting at least. It's funny gore. It's to the point. They take it to the level where it's comedy because it just goes so far beyond what should be expected. It's kind of like, you know, animes will do this. Not this show. Just kind of has it. Like a guy's leg gets chopped off and then the guy doesn't even really react. He just kind of sits there and nobody really reacts to it. It just, it does, the show has no idea what it wants to be. It doesn't have the balls to really go for anything funny or original. As I said, it just falls back on praying that its target audience is going to appreciate it because they agree with it, because it hits on all the things they're told that they should support. It's just a fucking embarrassment. So there you go. You can watch it for yourself. You can enjoy that, uh, or you can take my advice and delete it. If you recorded it, uh, make sure you give it a thumbs down and ignore it. Pretend it never happened. Erase it from your cultural consciousness. That's my recommendation. All right, guys, that's it. Please go subscribe. Remember, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe and notify button. We are being throttled brutally on YouTube. Thank you, by the way. We have a lot of new subscribers on YouTube. I mean, we've, you know, we're getting, you know, 10, 15 subscribers a day on YouTube. Thank you so much. Maybe you guys have heard some of the ads even running on some of the other shows that we love. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining you're not going to see anything that we publish on YouTube if you don't hit the notification button because they won't allow you to see it. So please go and do that. And of course, listen to us, subscribe, share the show, tell a friend if you'd be so kind. Give us a five-star review on Amazon or on Amazon, on, uh, on Apple or wherever you are listening. Please do a little write up there. It really helps the show and boost us out. Otherwise, thank you guys for uh, bearing with me here in my, my broken up show. I... And Brian McWilliams. This is Mean Age Daydream on the Lions Liberty Network. And keep those electric eyes on me, babe. Keep that ray gun to my head. Talk to you next week.